Last week, uh, I began my sermon with a reenactment of Hamlet's famous soliloquy, to be or not to be. And afterwards, I heard from several of you that that I wasn't going to be winning any Tony Awards for my theatrical performance anytime soon, and that I shouldn't quit my pastor as a day job. But despite your critical reviews, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I have some stage talent in me. And so this morning, instead of acting, I'm going to try my hand at comedy, okay? So bear with me for, for just one second. Hey, good morning. Good morning. This is my first uh, first church gig that I've done. So, uh, hey, it's good to be in Raleigh. Uh, since we're here in Raleigh this morning, uh, did you hear the one about the NC State student who drove to Disney World uh, for spring break? Well, when they got to Orlando, there was a sign that said, Disney World left. So they turned around and drove home. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> All that laughter must be a sign that you really liked my sign joke. So I'll, I'll give you another one here. Uh, did you? There was a pastor and a priest who stood along the side of the road holding signs. One sign said, the end is near. The other one said, turn around before it's too late. <laughs> well, a man in a car drove by and he saw these two signs and he rolled out his window and he leaned out of his car and he said, hey, you guys are crazy. And he sped on by. <laughs> A few moments later, they heard the screeching of wheels and then a large splash. And the the pastor turned to the priest and he said, Hey, maybe we should have just made a sign that said, Bridge out ahead. (laughs) Oh, thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week and probably for the rest of my life. (laughs) But, now disregarding the incredible comedic value, (laughs) the moral of those jokes... If a joke can have a moral, is that if you misread the signs, you can find yourself in real trouble. If you misread the signs, you can find yourself in real trouble. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Today we're continuing in our Advent Sermon Series, looking at the birth narrative of Jesus from Luke chapter 2. And throughout this series, what we're doing is, is we're considering how those who were involved in Christ's first coming to earth made themselves ready to meet their Savior. And then we're asking the question, what can we learn from their example that might help us as we prepare ourselves for Christ's return at the second advent? And today, we are still with the shepherds who were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. After they dealt with their to, be, to fear or not to fear dilemma over the angels appearing from last week's sermon. We're told in verse 12 that the angel of the Lord provided a sign for the shepherds. And so today we're going to talk about the signs that are given to us by God and why they matter in making us ready to encounter him when he returns. To do that, we're going to consider the reality of signs, the requirement that we read them rightly, and the reward that they point us to. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 as we consider God's Word to us today. Now the first point that I want to make is is simply about the reality of signs, that we have a God who gives signs to His people in order to communicate with them. Did, Did you know that? Do you really believe it? 
Because many folks are uncomfortable with the idea of God speaking to people through signs. They're skeptical and they're doubtful about it. But from Genesis to Revelation, we have examples of how God communicates to us through various signs and wonders that he gives. In some cases, God gives signs to his people to help them look back and remember and be reminded of what God has done for them or has promised to them. Some examples of this are are Noah and the rainbow from Genesis chapter 9. Or or of Joshua and the twelve memorial stones from from Joshua chapter 9. These were signs given by God so that when future generations looked back on these signs, they would remember the promises that God had spoken and, and the great works that God had done. Sometimes God would communicate with people through signs not to look back on what he had done, but in order to demonstrate his power and what he is able to do. So, for example, to Moses in in Exodus chapter 4, God gave a staff that turned into a snake. And he gave Moses the ability to, to turn his hand leprous and the ability to turn the water of the Nile into blood. These were signs for Pharaoh of God's great power. And they communicated a warning that Pharaoh should listen to Moses, who spoke on behalf of God. Another example of of this kind of a sign is Aaron's rod from Numbers chapter 17, where God made Aaron's rod, his staff, uh, to bud and to flower as a sign of his power and as a warning to those who were grumbling against God's ways. Finally, signs could also be given to help people look forward, and they could serve as promises of what is going to come. In Exodus chapter 3, while the Israelites were still enslaved in Egypt, God told Moses that he would bring the people out of their slavery and that they would worship God on the mountain. And this was to be a sign for Moses. God predicted something that was going to happen, that them worshiping up on the mountain in their freedom So that when that sign came to pass, Moses would have known that God was with them through it all. He had brought to pass what he said he was going to bring to pass. And the sign would have proved it. Or uh, there was the sign given to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Where God gave a sign of, of the fleece that was either wet or dry. To let Gideon know that God would be with him in the battle that was to come. One of the most famous signs God has given was to King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7. In this sign, God foretold of a coming judgment with the sign of a child to be born to a virgin that would be named Emmanuel. In the New Testament, to the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus gave the sign of Jonah in Matthew chapter 12, warning them of a coming judgment that they would experience if they did not repent. And in Revelation, John was given a number of signs in his visions about what was going to happen at the end of the age. And so what we see is that throughout the scriptures, God uses all kinds of signs to speak to us in all kinds of ways. Sometimes he's reminding us. Sometimes he's warning us. Sometimes he's preparing us. But regularly and repeatedly, he uses signs in order to communicate with his people. Specifically, as it relates to our context today, God gave a sign to the shepherds in the field so that they could identify the Savior who had been born. 
That when they got to Bethlehem and they found a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, they could know with certainty that they had found the child that the angel was speaking of. Without the sign, it could have been any new child born in Bethlehem that night. They would have had no idea which child the angel was speaking to them about. But with the sign, the shepherds could know with certainty how and where God was leading them. The sign led them to their Savior. And so the question for us today is, what can we learn from their example? How does this apply to us as as we wait and watch for Christ's return? Has God given us any signs that we're supposed to pay attention to that will help make us ready to meet our Savior when He comes again? Well, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was asked that very question by His disciples. They said, what will be the sign of your coming at the, and the close of the age? How will we know when you're going to come back, they're asking him. What should we be looking out for, paying attention to, so that we'll be ready when you return? And in response to their question, Jesus gave what is known as the Olivet Discourse, which is the last of five speeches that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew. This one focusing on the persecution that his followers were going to experience prior to his return and the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God that will come. And in this discourse, Jesus mentions all kinds of things that were going to happen. Signs that would take place that tell us his return is near. In verse 3 and following, Jesus mentions that false messiahs will come claiming to be him, claiming to be able to save, leading many people astray. He mentions wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against other nations. He mentions famines and earthquakes that will occur. In Luke's version of this speech, Luke records that Jesus specifically mentions pestilences that will take place. Pestilence is an older term for virus or pandemic. That one in particular should make us think. And Jesus says that all of these are the beginnings of the birth pains. They are signs of the beginning of the end. In the same way that when a woman goes into labor, her labor pains are a sign that the child is coming, that the birthing process has begun. So with these events, they are the beginning signs that Jesus is coming back soon. When these things happen, we know that his return will be getting near. And then Jesus actually continues, and he gives even more signs. He says that there will be persecutions for his sake, that many will fall away from following him, that the love of God will grow cold, and that the gospel will be proclaimed to all of the nations. And then the end will come. Jesus says that after all of these things have happened, that the next event, the next thing that happens, that the end will come. And so just as God spoke to the shepherds through his angel and gave them a sign about where they could find the Savior, so too he has spoken to us, to you and to me, and has given us signs to tell us when we will find our Savior. God speaks through signs. But simply being aware of the reality of signs doesn't actually do us any good. We need to be able to read them rightly. Because a sign is of no value if you misread it. They need to be interpreted correctly. When you're traveling to Disney World, if if you see a sign that says Disney World left, 
and you interpret that sign to mean that Disney World has gone, that it has vacated the premises, then you've misread and and misinterpreted the sign, and it will be of no value to you. In fact, it will actually be of detrimental value to you because it will lead you astray. For that sign to be of value, for it to accomplish its intended purpose, you must interpret it correctly. You must realize that Disney World left means that Disney World is on the left-hand side of the road and that you must turn left in order to get there. For signs to be of any value, they must be interpreted correctly. This is true of all signs, but particularly true of signs from the Lord. We must interpret God's signs rightly, which many people don't. We see this in 2 Peter chapter 3, where the Apostle Peter notes that many people will look at the delay in Jesus' return to the earth and interpret his delay to mean that Jesus is never going to return. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They see the delay of Christ's return and read that as a sign that he's never coming back. More common today, they perceive a silence from heaven and interpret it to mean that God doesn't really exist. Either way, it leads people to scoff at the idea of God and of those who wait for him to come. Others experience the delay of Jesus' return and interpret that delay to mean that they have lots of time to get ready for his coming. So they've determined that they can live life however they want to now, and, and they'll get serious about Jesus and religion later in their lives when they're ready for that kind of thing. But both of these are a misreading of the signs that Jesus has given to us. And it is a misrep- this misrepresentation is incredibly detrimental and destructive to our lives. Because if we think that Jesus' delay is a sign that he either doesn't exist or he's not coming back or that we have all the time in the world to get ready for him to come back, then we will be unprepared for him when he returns. And Jesus warns us in the passages that follow ours today that if we're unprepared when he returns, then it will be too late. If we're not ready when he arrives, we'll miss him and his kingdom altogether. We can't afford to misinterpret Jesus' signs. And so instead of interpreting his delay as a sign, trying to discern meaning out of that, Jesus has given us actual signs. He's told us what to pay attention to. And what Jesus' signs are intending to tell us, what he's trying to communicate to us through these signs, a, a proper interpretation of them, is that his return might come at any moment. So we are always to be ready. This was Jesus' point and and the purpose in, in those signs, to make us ready for the imminent return of our King. And we know this is his meaning in the signs, not just because we can look at the list of things that he gave us as signs and determine that they've they've all taken place and hence it's time for the end to come but also because Jesus tells us this is the point of his signs with the lesson of the fig tree in verse 32. He says that when the fig tree puts out its its leaves, that it's a sign that summer is near. So also with these signs, when you see them happening, 
you will know that Christ's return is near. And then he mentions that all of the events which he described will occur before that generation to which he spoke them to passes away. And in chapter 25, which we didn't read, Jesus drives this message home further with the parables of the ten virgins and the parables of the talents, which both deal with with the Lord returning at a time when people weren't expecting him and before everyone was ready for him. And as a result, many people missed him. Jesus has given us signs in order to communicate with us and to help us be ready for him when he comes again. And when we interpret God's signs rightly, there is always a rich reward that awaits. This is what the shepherds did, and this is what they experienced. We're told that with haste, they went to Bethlehem, found the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, And they met their Savior. Paying attention to the sign allowed them to encounter the living God, come to earth in the person of Jesus. It was such a profound experience and such a rich reward that we are told that they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen. It filled them with an an awe and a wonder and a heart of worship that could not be contained. The same will be true for us. If we pay attention to the signs that God has given us and we interpret them rightly and we respond appropriately, making ourselves always ready for Jesus' imminent return, we will meet our Savior too. We'll encounter the living God as well. No longer veiled in flesh as an infant child, but in all of the glory of heaven coming on the clouds. Are you ready for that? what Advent is all about. (laughs) Do you believe the signs that he has spoken? Are you living as if this could happen at any moment? It's easy to say yes to that question in a time like this, in the middle of a church service or while you're reading your Bible or when you're having a quiet time, when your attention, attention and focus is directed towards God. But throughout the days and the weeks, I find that it's often easy to lose track of this thought. It's easy to forget the signs or stop paying attention to the signs. They slip from the forefront of our minds and and we can live our lives as if Christ's return wasn't imminent. We can begin doing things or saying things that we wouldn't want to be caught doing and saying in the moment that Christ returned. And to that reality, C.S. Lewis gives us a, a really helpful thought and a great reminder. In his book, The Silver Chair, which is the the fifth book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, two children are are called to rescue the lost Prince Rillian, who was kidnapped by the Emerald Witch and held prisoner in the underground lair. In preparing the children to rescue him, the great lion Aslan gives Jill, one of the children, four signs to memorize that would guide them on their journey. And then he gives her this warning. He says, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lay down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And then he gives her a warning. 
He says that here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear, but but as you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all like you expect them to look when you meet them there. This is why it is so important that you know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. Church, as we walk through this season of Advent and throughout all the rest of our lives, may we heed this great advice from the great lion Aslan. Remember, remember, remember the signs and believe the signs so that we might be prepared to meet our Lord when he returns. For nothing else matters. Amen.